Psalm chapter 85, beginning with verse number 6. Psalm 85, beginning with verse number 6. I want you to hear the words of David. Verse number 6. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Look at verse number 6 again. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Today I'm going to start a new sermon series. You don't want to miss it. For the next three Sundays, today and the next two Sundays, I'm starting a sermon series called Stories of Revival. Stories of Revival. So I encourage you strongly to be here next Sunday and the Sunday after this to hear the word of the Lord because it's going to be a journey together. We're going to listen to history and, uh, and how God moved throughout history and what we can learn also from history and scripture. How many will make a commitment to be here the next few Sundays in the sermon series? All right, you don't want to miss it? All right, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have been raised in church, or if you've been around church for any length of time, you probably have heard of the word revival. Most Christians think that revival is a series of meetings with a guest speaker. There are other people that think revival is an old-fashioned tent meeting with a charismatic evangelist with slicked hair, wearing a white jacket, having a sweaty face, hoarse throat, shouting and screaming as spit flies through the air. Others think that it's an evangelistic campaign to get people saved or hope to get people saved. Now, my friends, I certainly believe that revival can have all those characteristics. Certainly, I've been a part of them. But that's not revival. Revival is much deeper than that. Can I just say this? Revival is not evangelism, even though people may get saved. Revival is not some sort of emotional manifestation, even though that may happen. Revival is not a series of meetings, even though that may happen as well. You see, revival is much deeper than that. It's, it's more serious than that. I think, my friends, that we have heard the word revival so much, and that word has been so misused and overused that sometimes I believe that the meaning of revival has been blurred. Somehow, some way, we have lost what it really means to have revival because we have heard it so much that it's become cliche. Or it doesn't really mean anything to us anymore because we were made to go to it when we were a child 
have some sort of bad experience with it. Someone tried to push you down or make you speak in tongues or make you act in a way you didn't want to act and left a bad taste in your mouth. And so revival doesn't really bring good memories for you. But I want you to go with me on a journey today and the next few Sundays as we buckle our spiritual seatbelts and we go throughout history and scripture and we learn the characteristics of what it took for those people to have a genuine revival, not a counterfeit, not something that was made up, not even something that was scheduled by man, but a sovereign move of the Spirit, whereby people's lives were changed in such a way that it brought transformation to their home, to their community, and yes, it even transformed the nation. That is the type of revival I'm speaking about. You see, let me just lay a foundation to you and explain to you what revival is. Revival comes from a Hebrew word, which means to bring back to life, to bring back to life. It also means to restore to previous condition. It's the word that means to bring renewal or to bring back to a previous condition. You see, a revival, my friends, is simply a spiritual, personal renewal in God. Well, let me just break it down to you like this. Revival is simply this. It is a heartfelt change or a heartfelt turn to God. Strip away all the emotionalism, strip away all the church attendance, church, strip away all the hype, and the core essence of revival is this, a heart change, a heart turn to God. That is what a revival is. You see, Charles Finney said it like this, and I quote, Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in the obedience to God. It is giving up of one's will to God in deep humility. Anne Graham said it like this, and I agree with her. She said, revival begins when you draw a circle around yourself and make sure that everything in that circle is right with God. Revival, a restoration, a revival is a renewal. A revival is to come back to life again. You see, my friends, revival is not an act of man. I could schedule several meetings and call it a revival. That's good. But a genuine revival whereby the hearts of people are genuinely changed and transformed is a sovereign move of the Spirit. No preacher, no committee, and no organization can ever schedule a sovereign move of God. And yet... If you look at the scriptures, it is clear that revival is a biblical concept. Revival is rooted in the Bible. It is rooted in the pages of the scripture. 
over and over, God had a way of bringing his people back to life again. God was a God to restore his people back to their previous condition. That's the type of God that we serve. You see, the Bible said in our text this morning, David said, will thou not revive us again? A prayer concerning Israel. Will you not revive your people again? The Bible also says in Isaiah 57 verse 15, the prophet speaking of Israel saying this, and I quote, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Even Habakkuk, speaking of the people of God, he was clear that God was going to do something in his day among his people. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, and I quote, O Lord, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of your years. In the midst of the years, make it known in your wrath. Remember mercy. You see, revival is when God's people return to God and God returns to them and everyone sees the difference. I think that's one of the greatest quotes that I've read concerning revival. Revival is when God's people return to God and God returns to them and everyone sees the difference. Now, I know, my friends, you think revival is old school, don't you? Maybe you think that revival is something that's traditional, something that's outdated, something that's in the backwoods, something that only Southern people do. We don't do it here in the Midwest. It's, it's those churches in the hills that play the tambourine and wear long dresses. It's those people that have revival. It's, it's those people that act crazy, not us. And, and yet, 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 there, there is resistance towards revival. There are many, many things we have to fight against, many images that we have, many thoughts that we have concerning it. Some of it's true and some of it's not. And yet, there are some of us that do feel like it's a little old-fashioned and back in the woods, and it's something that our grandparents participated in. And, you know, you've heard it said from pastors how they went to revival for weeks upon weeks and weeks upon weeks. You heard those stories of where people were so in, 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 in the presence of God that they would stay there for hours and hours. You've heard those stories. Oh, I've heard my granddad say, you didn't have it as bad as I had it. I had to walk to school in the snow. You know, you've heard those stories before. And somehow we equate revival to the past. Something that our grandparents did. But here, this pastor this morning, I'm not trying to be old school, even though I believe I have an old soul. I'm not trying to be a little bit old-fashioned. I, I, I want to be, be modern. I want to have a modern church. You want a 
go to a modern church. This is 2020. But I, I want you to hear my heart. I want you to hear me when I say this, that if there's ever been a time in history that we ever needed another move of the Spirit and a heartfelt return to God, it is now in 2020. It is now in 2020. We need another revival. L listen to Pastor. We need a revival. We need a heart change, a, a return to God and His commandments. Our nation is drifting away from morality. We are drowning in fear and confusion and uncertainty. Our cities have become a modern-day war zone. Honor and respect seems to be dwindling. Segregation and division is ripping us apart. Lawlessness is running through our streets like an open sewer. We have more education and technology than any other generation before us, and yet we are still sick. It seems like we're smarter now, but we're not any wiser. We are going real fast, but we're not ending up anywhere. My friends, let me say this. We are in a pandemic, certainly. But I would say this, that we are in another pandemic. It is greater than COVID-19. We are in a spiritual pandemic, and there is a virus in our nation, and it's the virus of lawlessness and corruption and depravity. We're more concerned about COVID-19 than our family members on their way to hell. The scripture says, what can man do to the body? You should fear God who can throw the body and the soul into hell. And as a church, we need revival. Brother Huckel, we're, we're more confused now as a church. The church is where we're groping in the darkness, trying to find the light switch. There appears to be a, a coldness in the seats, a lack of concern. Prayerlessness is sweeping our churches and covering our churches like a, a fog. Complacency and, and apathy seems to be the norm, and radical Christians are labeled as crazy, unnecessary, a freak. Our worship services are not really worship services. We design the worship service to tickle the ears of the audience. Pastors are not pastors anymore. They can't say, thus saith the Lord. They can't correct church members because they'll leave and go up the street to the other church. So pastors are now just puppets in the hands of the congregation. Pastors now are raising up daycare centers with a bunch of babies 
because we're afraid to raise up an army because we're too sensitive we might get hurt. We have our churches splitting over the definition of marriage. We're confused about it now. It seems like we have a lot of committees, don't we? And less commitments now. We have more diplomacy than dedication. We have more construction on our church buildings than consecration. We have more activity than agony. We are beauty, our church, our beauty is found in our buildings. Our success is found in our finances. Our strength is found in our numbers. We are more concerned about being a co-star with Christ than a co-laborer with Christ. If you don't let me preach or don't let me sing, I'll go somewhere where they'll let me. We're more concerned about the glory of our own billboards than the glory of his billboard. We have people running around with egotistical, narcissist attitudes that has covered it up with religious lingo. In revival, God is not concerned about feeling an empty church. He is concerned about feeling empty hearts. Can I say that again? God is not concerned about feeling an empty church. He is concerned about feeling an empty heart and setting it on fire once again. See, the scripture says this is the day that we would live in. The Bible says in Matthew 24 and verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. It will eventually get cold. It's growing cold. It's a process of becoming cold. The angel, the Lord said to the church, the angel said to the church in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 4, and I quote, Nevertheless, I have something against you, for you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do your first works over. You see, it's... It's the day that we're living in, and appear, it appears, listen to pastor, it appears as though the church of Jesus Christ is on hospice. It seems as though our days are numbered. They're burning churches now. They're burning down and tearing down our statues. They're forbidding us to sing now. There's a slight push, just a slight, but it's, a, it's something, a picture of something greater to come. And it appears as though we're, we're on hospice. It, it, our days are numbered. It seems like we're weak and our strength is frail. It appears like the death certificate is being being waited upon getting ready to write our death certificate but I just want to preach a little bit right here I want to tell you something I called and canceled the funeral arrangements and I told the devil 
he ain't done with us yet. I don't know if there's anybody in the balcony that can wave your hand and say, I'm not going to that funeral. I refuse to be dead. I refuse to be dried up. I'm going to be a part of a church of Jesus Christ that's going to shake the gates of hell and bring about a revival that will usher in the coming of the Lord in the last days. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. God told me to tell you today that he's going to send a revival. He's going to send a renewal. He's going to send a restoration. He's going to bring us back to life again. I am talking about, I'm talking about a revival that will make Republicans and Democrats respect one another. I'm talking about a revival that will cause husbands and wives to love one another. I'm talking about a revival that blacks and whites can worship together under the same roof. I'm talking about a revival that will cause church members to pray. I'm talking about a revival where we fall on the face of God and say, God, will you move again like you did in yesteryears? I'm talking about a revival that will make sinners run to the front and confess their sin at the altar of repentance. I'm talking about a revival where church attendance is more important than your job. I'm talking about a revival where families are united and mothers and fathers are respected and honored. I'm talking about a revival where the prodigal son and daughter comes to the altar and repents of their sin. I'm talking about a revival that will shut the gates of hell and stir up the dead church member. I'm talking about a revival that will cause you to drop your fifth of liquor on the bar stool and turn 180 degrees around on that bar stool and come to an altar of confession of repentance. I'm talking about that revival. A revival that will make you put down your phone and pick up the Bible once in a while. What we need, what this church needs, what America needs, is a prayer like David prayed, will thou not revive us again? We're about ready to have camp meeting. But when I was in camp meeting, I had to wear a tie, you know what I'm saying? Thank God that we have progressed. How many remembers those days? The Bible says in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, Jesus said, I'll tell you this, that I will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The Bible says in Ezra chapter 9 verse 8, Ezra stood and prayed after the exile of God's people. And he said this, and I quote, And now for a little while, Ezra said, Grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in his holy place that our Lord God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. The prophet Ezekiel looked at a valley, a vision, a valley of dry bones concerning Israel, concerning God's people. And the Lord said to the prophet, I want you to say into the valley and prophesy to the, these bones. 
Actually, the Lord said, Son of man, can these bones live again? And the prophet said, O oh Lord, only you know. The Lord said, Prophesy under the valley of dry bones. Now the context here is speaking of the house of Israel, God bringing life back to a nation. But I want us to put ourselves in the context of that scripture today. There are churches that is dying. There are churches that is dying. There are men in the pulpit, a six foot icicle rolling around preaching dead sermons to dead people as they listen to dead sermonettes. No revival, no presence of God, no miracles. The word of God is dead and lifeless, falling on dead hearts. But I refuse to let that happen here in this church in the year 2020. And the prophet said, the Lord said to the prophet, speak into the bones and say into the bones, live. He said, son of man, can these bones live? Only you know, Lord. And the Lord said, speak to them, prophesy to the bones and command them to live. My question, the, the question of the Lord to us today, can you hear the Lord say to us, can Christ point live again? And I hear, I told the Lord, Lord, only you know. And the Lord responded and said, Son, prophesy unto the bones. And when he began to prophesy to the bones, the Lord caused a breath to come into those bones and they begin to live. So I'm going to stand as a prophet today and say unto the valley of bones this morning, be strong, be vibrant, be victorious be strengthened. I say unto you, Christ's point, let the breath of God come into you again and live. Oh, hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Can somebody take about two minutes and praise the name of the Lord today? Somebody praise the name of the Lord the breath of God flows in this building. Hallelujah. 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 I said hallelujah. Sister Joyce, I'm trying to contain myself, but I found a scripture, Chris. Last night I found a scripture. I about fell out of my seat. But the Lord gave it to me. Can I, can I read it to you? Can I read what the Lord said? The prophet said to his people, speaking of the Lord, the Lord said to the prophet, Isaiah 64 and verse number one, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and that you would come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I want the Lord to tear open the heavens and come down. Tear open the heavens, Lord, and come down. Lord, come down like you did on the bush of Midian and caught it on fire. 
Come down like you did on the tabernacle where the glory was so heavy that the priests couldn't even stand. Come down like you did on Mount Sinai where the mountain was covered with smoke and fire. Come down like you did in the temple of old and the doors of the post moved because of the glory of God. Come down like you did on the day of Pentecost where 120 disciples were baptized with fire. Come down like you did in the Philippian jailhouse where the jailhouse was rocked and those in the jailhouse were saved. Come down like you did in yesterday's in fire and glory. Lord, come down like you did when I was 10 years old in Hamilton, West Virginia, and I was so overcome by the presence of God that the Lord called me into ministry. Come down like you did on 23rd and Annie Baxter, where Sister Raylene said they had to sit in the presence of God for hours because it was so heavy. Come down like you did in Galena, Assembly of God, in the tabernacle where the glory would fill the tent and people would leave in the awe of the presence of God. I'm asking him to do it again. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1, the angel at the church of Ephesus said, These are the words of him that holds the seven stars in his hands, and he walks among the candlesticks. The Lord is walking among us this morning. Oh, you better be careful. The Lord of the candlesticks is walking down the streets, down the aisles. I said, the, this is sometimes church. Sometimes I get so overwhelmed in the presence of the Lord. I just, you know, I just, you know, and, and, and I love you. I really, really do love you. You're the best church ever. But sometimes I just wish that somebody would just act like you like being here, even if it's to bat your eyes. You don't have to act like me or throw your hand up a little bit or act like you're not depressed this morning. Come on, somebody. You say, well, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, you can't win the battle if you're a pessimist. You can't win the battle acting that way. You can't let the devil know he has something up on you. You've got to let the devil know when the Lord called me in this battle, he didn't call me to give up. He didn't call me to quit. And I'm not going to... Revival. The pages of the Bible is immersed in a God that brings his people back to life again. The pages of the Bible is immersed in a God that restores his people back to life. It's impossible not to read the Bible and see a God that brings his people back. He said to the prophet Isaiah, there are rebellious people but there is coming a day that I'm going to circumcise their hearts and they're going to be my people. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, there are at least 12 classic revivals. In the New Testament, there's at least eight classic revivals. Twelve in the Old Testament, eight in the New Testament. 
where God took a people and after they cried out to the Lord, the Lord turned their heart to him and there was a great refreshing over the land and nation. And it's interesting to me that all of these revivals have something in common. I'm going to quickly read to you the things that they have in common. These are not my points. This is just very quickly. These revivals in the Bible have something in common. Number one, they all occurred in times of moral darkness and national depression. All of them. Every revival, each of them begin with a heart of a consecrated servant of God who became the energizing power behind it. Number three, each revival rested on the word of God and the proclamation of the word. Number five, each revival witnessed the destruction of idols where it existed. Number six, each revival, the people returned to obeying God's laws. Number seven, there was a restoration of great joy and gladness. Number, number eight, each revival was followed by national prosperity. All of these revivals in the Bible had eight dominant characteristics. Do you see them? Number one, it happened in moral darkness and decay. Number one, in moral depression, in moral darkness. They all started by a leader who believed it was possible. Number three, all the revivals rested on the word of God and the proclamation of his word. They all resulted in the return to the worship of God. They all resulted in the destruction of idols. They all resulted in them obeying God's word and the proclamation of the word. There was always a restoration of joy and gladness and prosperity in the nation. I can't, I can't tell you or preach about all the revivals of the Old Testament or New Testament. We would be here for a long time. And, and, and I don't think I can exhaust all of it. But I just do want to give you an example of one in the Old Testament, just very quickly. Asa had a great revival under his reign. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 3, I want you to listen to what's happening in the nation. The Bible says, and I quote, for a long time Israel had been without the true God. I want you to see the moral depravity here. I want you to see the depression here. I want you to see, see what's happening in the nation. They were without God, without a priest, and without the law. But when in their trouble they turned to God, the God of Israel, and sought after him, and he found them. And in those days there was no peace to one without one, nor to the one who came in, but great turmoil was in all the inhabitants of the land. So the nation was destroyed by nation, city by city, for God troubled them with every adversity. But you be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded." Look what happened when he heard the words of this prophet, the prophecy of this book. He took courage. He removed the abominable and idols from the land of Judah and Benjamin and all the cities. And he returned to the altar of the Lord. He restored the altar of the Lord that was before God. He restored the altar. He restored the altar. Could it be possible? Because verse number 12 stated that after he restored the altar, the whole nation came in covenant to seek the Lord. 
could it be that it just takes one person that will call people back to repentance, that will call people back to a heartfelt change and desire to serve God? Could it be that we could have another revival like they had in days of old? What about in the New Testament? A great revival in the city of Samaria. A great revival. They heard the word. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there was great joy in the city. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse number 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere, and they preached the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord gave heed to the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out, many of them who were possessed, and many who was paralyzed and lame was healed. The Bible says, and there was great joy in the city. How many would raise your hand and say, preacher, I want a great revival just like that. I want a great revival where there's great joy in the city. I want a great revival where unclean spirits come out. I want a great revival where the paralyzed and the lame are healed. I'm asking that God would do it again. How do we have revival? Oh, it's simple. The scripture says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It is when men and women come before God and they confess and they repent and they, and they confess their dependency upon God that it is not about our ability. It's not what we can do or what we cannot do. It's not by my might, but it's by his spirit, says the Lord. It's interesting that when you begin to look at the revivals of not only in the Old Testament, and when you look at the revivals of the New Testament, although they are a common denominator that is seen throughout all of them, I could say the same thing about the revivals of history. The revivals of history had something similar. In the revivals of history, it seems like the church and the nation, it seems like there was a great departure from God. Number two, after the departure, then it seems like there was a decline of spiritual intensity and passion. After the decline, there seems to be a defeat. After the defeat, there seems to be a desperation from the people of God to cry out for a return to God. And it seems to the last there is a deliverance. This, this, this cycle of departure, decline, defeat, desperation, and deliverance, if you are a student of the word, hopefully you have seen it in the book of Judges. The book of Judges also had the same pattern. All throughout the book of Judges, over and over, the people of God would depart. And then there would be a decline of spiritual passion and spiritual disciplines. They would be defeated in battle. And the people would cry out in desperation, and God would send a judge and a deliverer to deliver them. That same cycle seems to be the same cycle that is found in the histories of revival. And my friends, the reason that it's found in the history of revivals is because people haven't changed since the book of Judges. We're still the same. We still have the same issues. 
is just packaged differently. The history of revival. When there is confession to God, when there's a hunger for God, when there's an obedience to God, when there's a love for your brother, there's revival. Jonathan Goforth said it like this, if revival is being withheld from us, it is because idols remain still enthroned, because we insist in placing our reliance on human schemes, because we still refuse to face the unchanging truth. It is not by might, but by my spirit. Francis Schaeffer said it like this, Reformation is a return to the sound doctrine of the Bible. The revival is the practice of that sound doctrine under the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said it like this, I quote, have you ever noticed how much praying for revival has been going on lately? And how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying and it simply will not work. My friends, Leonard Ravenhill said it best. As long as we're content without revival, we will. But I am saying to you, listen to this little boy that was raised in the hills of West Virginia in those revivals. Where the glory would come down in the little old church and me as a little boy would sit on the front row and I would literally shake because I couldn't control it because the power would be so strong in the building. I saw with my own eyes people get healed. I saw with my own eyes demon people, demon possession coming out of people. I saw with my own eyes God raised up the oppressed and the depressed. I am saying that I was born in the fire and I refused to live in the smoke. I'm calling you back to revival. I'm calling you back to repentance. I'm calling you back to holiness. I'm calling you back for a hunger for God. Is there anybody in the building that can stand to your feet and say, Pastor, I'm with you. I am not satisfied until heaven kisses earth. I'm not satisfied. And I want to say this, I commend you for those of you that pray every Wednesday night, the 30 and the 40 people that come every Wednesday night praying for revival, thank God for you. Thank God for you. Thanking you coming and lifting my hands and praying together. The church is not about just coming and singing our songs on Sunday morning. There is a move. We don't want to. We don't want to build up a monument of what God used to do in the past. We want to build memorials of what God wants to do in the future. We say we want revival. We we, we say it, but our practice does not go with our talk. I'm sorry, folks. I have to be a good pastor and tell you it just it's sandpaper. It's not. We say one thing, but our practice is not.
When was the Holy Spirit? When, when have you stayed in prayer? That, that it's prayer is not about you praying your burdens. Prayer is about you receiving his burden. you spend more money at the Piggly Wiggly than you give in the offering, you need revival. If you haven't prayed all week, you need revival. I gotta go back to God. Now listen to me. Be seated. Everybody look at me. Y'all know I love you. You know why I'm preaching like this? Because I'm not going nowhere. That's why I'm preaching this way. I'm not going nowhere. I'm determined as Joshua that every place that you put your foot, I'm going to give it to you. So, for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you one story. Next Sunday, I'm just going to tell you stories. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you stories of what happened in the great revivals of history. I've laid a foundation biblically and scripturally today. Next week, you're going to hear story after story about how God overcame humanity. There was a revival that shook the gates of the church and set them on the course of greatness. A revival that so penetrated the hearts of people that even school children got convicted because they took a pencil home from school. A revival. Before I moved here, I went to seminary, not the cemetery. Usually, when you think of a seminary, you think of dry and boring, but I went to one of the greatest seminaries in the world, in my opinion. It's called Asbury Theological Seminary. You can look it up. It is from the Wesleyan Holiness Movement. The roots of it is in Methodism. The school was conservative, traditional. They instilled in us to pray, to seek God. Even though they were Wesleyans, Methodists, they were old school Wesleyans who believed in the message of John Wesley. John Wesley's message was holiness. That's why now you can see churches that don't cut their hair, long dresses, no makeup. That tradition stems from the Methodist movement. We are kissing cousins to the Methodist church. The idea was we don't want to look like the world, act like the world, so we were to come out and be separate. That tradition started happening in the holiness movements. I went to that school. As I was there, they reminisced of the days of revival. Oh, they were proud of the revivals in the Methodist church. But one revival they were in particular proud of was called the Asbury College Revival. You see, the seminary was across the street. 
master's degree to doctoral degrees. Across the street was the college where you went and got your associates or your bachelors. The college across the street had a great revival, and the revival was so impactful that Lexington News came just to see it. It changed the course of that school. The school is now called a university because it changed the climate of the college. As I was there, we reminisced the stories. As a matter of fact, we watched videos of thousands of students receiving the baptism of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, we saw hundreds of people coming to the college day after day. And there was no explanation of how this happened. But they did find something out that was prominent. And they had it recorded. That there was a group of, group of, of students, college students, who met for several years and they would pray together. They told us that these students would pray. There was only five, 50, 10 to 15 of them, not very many. But they would go to the auditorium and they would pray for several years. And as they prayed, some of them would have all-night prayer meetings. And there was this holy anticipation that God was going to do something at their school. And as they prayed, on February the 3rd, 1970, on that Monday morning in chapel, the chapel was supposed to go 50 minutes. The dean of the students got up to the platform to preach at the chapel service. As he got up to preach, he said in his own words he was apprehended by the Spirit not to preach a sermon. The Spirit told him, I want you to share your testimony about what God did in your life. He opened his mouth and he began to tell the story about what God delivered him from and helped him. It was a simple story. But the Holy Spirit used it and opened a door. And right when he was finished, someone in the back stood up and said, Doctor, I have sinned. I have been having premarital sex. I need forgiveness. He walked down the aisle. Another one stood and said, I've been watching pornography. I've sinned. I've sinned. Another one stood up and said, I haven't been studying like I should. I've been cheating on my test. They got up and stood. And one after another, they started coming down to the front. And the dean of the students stepped back as he watched hundreds of students coming, confessing their sin. And this is what they said, and I quote, in the newspapers in Lexington, Kentucky, I quote this thing that they said about the revival. One student said it like this, the power of God was so present and so real, the time itself seemed to collapse. It was almost as if reality was suspended, and people could sit hours after hours, and it seemed like it was only minutes or seconds. Number two, somebody said, the presence of God was so thick, it was heavy. Another student said, it was like warmth, liquid warmth around my heart. Another student said, there was such a divine sense of the presence of God that didn't want to leave my life, that it stayed with me for hours and hours, and I didn't know what to do with it. 
Another student said, just coming on the campus, some people indicated that they was overwhelmed by conviction of their sin. The revival lasted for eight whole days straight, morning and night. As a matter of fact, the revival was so intense that the college canceled all activities, all lectures, everything was canceled. As students, professors knelt at the altar under the conviction power of the Holy Ghost and it transformed the campus. And it was so powerful that it spread across the street to Asbury Seminary. They shut the whole campus down and it moved across the street and Lexington News quoted and said, it was as if heaven came down and kissed Wilmore, Kentucky on February the 3rd, 1970. Books have been written. Books like this. When God came. Ladies and gentlemen, story after story God's power and I stand before you today I am not asking for an emotional manifestation although that may happen I'm not even asking for a series of meetings although that may happen I am asking God the last few years I have diligently prayed and sought the Lord. And I stand before you not as a liar, but as people in my life that could testify to the routine of my life. I have asked a sovereign God to come and visit us. Because when he comes, he can do what I've tried to do for 10 years. He will do that's why we come to church and some of you are unmoved you're still looking at it you're still in your sin you're still wrapped up in greed still holding on you're still in it there's not another sermon I could preach to you to get you free There's no more oil I can lay on your hands to free you. It's going to take an act of God. And if God doesn't do it, it won't be done. 